gym today. Uh-huh. And this thing happened. One of the trainers came up, and not they weren't talking to me. They were talking about me in front of me, which is always a fun experience. Oh, man, that's, that's, you, get, you get a little peek inside. And they were like, so, fun story, um, they said to the person working the front desk. I thought this guy's name was Mac for, like, four and a half months. Mm-hmm. And I called him Mac in, like, every session we were in at the gym together and he just responded to it i mean there was sort of like a weird accusatory tone about this but not too bad he probably feels like you betrayed him well she but yeah it was like she was like now i found out his name was kyle and i will never forget it till the day i die because it was just i felt like anyway i was and i it was mostly funny to me because Mm -hmm. i was like you know this is not the first time this you are not the only person in the world who has this story because um People, they just can't remember my, like, they meet me, and they can remember my dumb face, but they can't remember my name. Usually they can remember it starts with a K, so I get, like, Keith a lot, or Kevin, sometimes Carl. Well, you know, Um, this at least had a hard K sound in it. Well, yeah, uh, that's a good point, because I was wondering how she got Mac, but she was like, oh yeah, it has a hard K sound, maybe that was it. But anyway, so I was just like, so yeah, I just let them call me that forever, until, you know, somehow some other coincidence reveals it and every time they're always like well why wouldn't you just correct me mm-hmm. and i try to explain to them you know that i'm like a philosopher and that i think names are generally trash oh what the what no it's true so this oh. is this is this is a core tenet of of like there's this guy named wittgenstein and he has this thought experiment which i feel is, like you've tricked me i feel like this was all a trick it was not a trick. I'm just making conversation. I'm just giving us something to lead in with. No, no, so, please, please tell me everything you're about to tell me about Wittgenstein. So Wittgenstein has a ex- thought experiment, which is a guy is looking at one of the at a nail that's embedded in a plank of wood. And he's like, "Boy, gotta pound that down a little deeper." So he turns to his friend and he says, "Patch me a wrench." The guy reaches in and he pulls out the thing that has the claw on one end and the flat head on the other and the little handle. And he hands it to the guy, and the guy goes, tap, tap, tap. Okay. And what he handed him is what we would call a hammer, but he asked for a wrench. But he, but the important part is neither of those things. The important part is, did he get what he needed to nail in the hammer at that moment? If he did, then where's the miscommunication? You actually, so some third person might come in and be like, hey, wait, no, that's not a wrench. That's actually a hammer. But actually, he's not participating in the game between the two workmen, so it's his opinion just isn't as important. Only once he is a full participant in the language game that they are playing can he weigh in, and it's more about the utility. So whenever people, I'm like, you know who I am, or you at least have enough facts filed in my head to indicate me, and I know that you're talking to me, and that we're communicating, so my name doesn't really matter all that much. So that's how I always felt about it. But then I was driving here, and uh-huh. I passed a poster, and it was like, coming this October, Halloween. And I was like, those motherfuckers. Because, as you, this is what they've been advertising, this new movie, Halloween, is the official sequel, as opposed to all of the others, to the 19, what was it, 1970, late 1980s? 1970-something, yeah. Yeah, 1970 movie, Halloween. And they just called it Halloween. Not even with a subtitle. So the official, canonical, only in-canon sequel to Halloween is Halloween, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I got so mad thinking about that, that for the first time, I cared about what my own fucking name was and what other people called me, because I was like, now it matters. Now it's real. You can't just do that. You can't make a sequel what? to a movie 
be like the sequel to the movie is the same as the name of the movie. What if what if I just started calling you the shape from now on though? That'd be fine. You're good with that? Yes. Okay. Unless at some point like I go through some obvious metamorphosis or transformation where I'm obviously a sequel to myself. Well, it'll still be a shape. And I don't see how it'll cause any harm for me to keep referring to you as the shape. Yeah, I don't know. So basically, names are bullshit except when we're talking about sequels to old movies, and then I get upset. End of story. Hi, I'm Kyle. Hi, I'm Nick. And this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Yeah, I'm still dizzy after getting off that roller coaster. <laughs> those those shocking loop-de-loops. Points where I was pretty sure my, my cart had started to fly right off the track, but I was locked in and couldn't escape... And just had to deal with all of my decisions that I made up to that point, leading me to that moment as I saw the ground coming closer and closer, but I have a metal bar holding my body in. And this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. <laughs> Kyle, we had to do some some real soul-searching after we finished this episode today. Yes, we did. It, this, is a, this is a strange moment. This is a benchmark in the show. Yeah, usually we... Uh, we we try to jump right into recording the episode after after we've watched the the, the Big Bang Theory episode, so our, our emotions are raw and our feelings are real. But and usually you can hear some of that. I, I will let out primal screams and things, although sometimes Nick edits around those. Yeah, yeah, uh, because I'm a goddamned professional. And today, after we watched the episode, we had to take about twenty minutes to just just kind of reflect on what happened to us. Because I might regret this someday, somewhere down the road, but I'm going to say that uh, this this episode today, Season 2, Episode 6, that may be my favorite episode so far. It was really good. I'll, yeah, it was I'll, a fun episode of television. Yeah, I'll go one more than that, which is, this is just, this is the best episode of Big Bang Theory that we've seen. Wait, that is just what I said. No, you said it was your favorite. I'm saying it's objectively the best. Oh, Lord. Yeah, all different right. things. Because you can. Everybody knows that your favorite of some, the, your favorite of anything doesn't have to be the best of that thing. Your favorite Mel Brooks movie is probably not the producers. It's probably I don't know, fucking History of the World or Robin Hood Men in Tights. You're, you know. Yeah, but I also don't think we're in a situation here where when I when I am interesting, we we're, we're halfway through season two. When I'm talking about my favorite episode, I don't I don't think there's an assumption there that oh. There are many much better episodes, but for reasons that I really can't can't articulate, this one is my favorite. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. I actually wanted to talk about like basically, and I was I've been thinking about this for a while, um, and I was waiting for this to come into play. So I was sort of mentally prepared. Which is, if you think about, it, there are how many episodes of this show? Like seven. There. Is that not right? There are seven episodes of the show in total. I, I mean, I I don't have information in front of me that suggests otherwise. I'm just going with my gut. There's at least seven. Is that is that better for you, Doctor Science? Uh, I th- there are, there are a couple hundred episodes of this show, at least. Well, that's too many. That can't be right. Well, there are twenty episodes a season, or uh-huh. something like that. I don't know. My point is, law of large numbers, right? I'm not saying there aren't that many episodes, but I'm saying however many episodes it is, there are too many. Yes. Well, but the law of large numbers says. That when you make, you know, 400 episodes or whatever of anything, one of them has to be pretty great, 
right? One or two of them even. Like there's, I'm, I'm not saying we know what the distribution of good to bad episodes is. We can safely say I think that the distribution of bad episodes is higher than the distribution of good episodes. That the good episodes are the long tail here, uh, you know, as Nate Silver would say. But um, there have to be like one or two. There had to be in here somewhere some actual good episodes of television. And there might even be somewhere, God help us, somewhere deep in the mix, there might be one legitimately great classic episode of TV. And we're really going to have to question some things when we come across that. I just have to be honest with you. As soon as you started talking about the law of large numbers, I kind of lost track because I was thinking about my own. Uh, beliefs about the law of large numbers and to me it's always just been like well yeah nine is bigger than six that's how numbers work six can't ever be bigger than nine it's the law and just that larger numbers are the bigger ones and so i really the rest of it just kind of went through my head as if uh water through a sieve but hey good tv is something to look forward to i suppose and i think i think we found it yeah like this isn't uh, well Maybe we should start by saying what happens in this episode. Yeah, well, and you know, that's nice, because it's actually... I think you complain a lot about how nothing happens in a lot of these episodes. And in this episode, um, it's not like there's so much going on that you just... You're, you're distracted by all the different plot elements. It's like, it's still pretty simple, but it's like, it's good. And it's... Uh, so, it starts with, I guess, kind of for the rest of the episode, a slight bit of a non-sequitur, which is uh, Johnny Galecki the Leonard is... Uh, lecturing uh, a class after some experiment fails, his laser went poof or whatever, and he's embarrassed. And he's like, oh, but hey, everyone, I give my new guest. It's going to be Dr. Sheldon Cooper, who uh, refuses to come out to, to do the lecture until uh, they make an agreement that Leonard will buy him, go take him to buy a comic book afterwards. And then Sheldon comes out and he gives his lecture, which is where the episode really starts to take off, because it's rad. He uh, He lectures everyone not on anything that they're probably going to learn, but no matter how hard they try, uh, most of them probably aren't remarkable enough for their work to mean much, and even then, it's ridiculous for any of them to believe that any of the number of discoveries that they may make are going to have any sort of significance later on, and so only one or two out of, I can't remember, out of the class, or out of millions or whatever, will any, be anything close to what Sheldon was, and it's, it's a strong start. Uh, and then, based on that, uh, a, a, a young, attractive grad student approaches Sheldon about his work and wants to work with him. Sheldon loves the flattery. They begin working together, but oh, oh, wouldn't you know it? The lady's a slave driver, and then sudden Sheldon, all of a sudden, he can't go out and do his paintball. He can't go out and play his Halo. And so he's just working and working and working and working. And that's kind of the bulk of the episode and all of the all of the horrible abuse or undertones dealing with it. Uh, but then in the end, uh, the, Sheldon has this incredible breakthrough, and uh, the lady's like, hey, can we call it the Cooper, whatever my last name is, thingamajigger? And uh, Sean says, oh, like, you want to share credit? She says, yeah. And he says, get out of my home. And that's kind of the end of it. And there's a lot more going on in there that's worth talking about, which is nice. It's nice. <laughs> but that's that's the meat of the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's... This was, so, two things about this that immediately stood out to me. The first is, what we always complain about is that the show has no stakes and nothing that happens matters to, even to, like, the internal arrangement of, like, the characters' relationships to each other. Mm-hmm. This is actually the first time when something big is introduced that is, like, an obstacle to the status quo, which is this new person comes into all of their lives. She seems to be, like, hell-bent on separating Sheldon for his own good, 
from uh, from all of his his normal friends and relationships and habits, so that he can purely dedicate himself to science, and uh, and it's a it's a problem. He doesn't yeah. like it. His friends sort of sort of miss. I mean, we don't spend a lot of time with them, and actually, you know, yeah. maybe. We, n- probably the episode would have been worse if we had seen what that they were just fine and were totally happy never seeing him. But actually, it's nice that we can just pretend that they must, you know, miss hanging out with him, even though well, that's demonstrably not the case from other episodes. Well, it didn't seem to be the case in here either. They didn't really seem like they missed hanging out with him. They were just so curious about what the hell was going on. Well, but they missed, like, playing Halo with him in paintball and stuff. I guess that's true. I mean, they still did it. They I mean, still got along. Yeah, there's a... Mon- there's a you said it was also a bare naked ladies song. Are you sure about that? Or did I'm you just positive. Guess? I don't know how you couldn't recognize that was the bare naked ladies. They have like a cartoony sound that is clearly distinguishable from just about anybody else. So you're saying you could you could tell like if a new bare naked ladies song came on the radio right now, you would be able to tell 100 percent of the time. Probably. Oh, that's not anybody. That's not any other band. Yeah. From the 90s or the 2000s, that is the Bare Naked Ladies. Are, are you saying that if a band releases a new song and you're familiar with that band, you would be incapable of recognizing it? Yes. Well, my friend, that is something that we're going to have to deeply discuss at a later time. Because that's bananas. It was the Bare Naked Ladies. I'd never heard that song. Don't need to. No, it's them. It also makes sense because they did the theme song, too. So yes, like, no, that part probably, makes They sense. just probably have them on retainer or something like that. Um, anyway, so there's stakes to this episode. Oh, yeah. why did I bring that up? Because uh, there's like a montage in the middle of this episode where they're, where the Bare Naked Ladies are singing about Yoko Ono, which is nice yeah. thematic unity because this girl, Ramona, is her first name. I can't remember what her last name Flowers. is. Flowers. No, it's not this. No, it's not Newinsky, Scott Pilgrim. Something I, I, like that. Newinsky, I think, is right, or something like that. Um, anyway, so she's the Yoko Ono, and she's broken up their boy band, and now they can't all play paintball together. Um, so there's that, and then um, so that's the stakes. Fuck, I forgot what the other thing I was going to say that well, makes this episode well, good was. Well, you think about that. I think I need to to add a little bit of subtlety to the way the stakes are characterized because. The the issue isn't just that Sheldon isn't getting to spend time with his pals anymore. It's that he seems to really appreciate the encouragement he's getting. Like, he's bummed out that he doesn't get to have his Halo nights. But also, he seems to, to really uh, be into, the at least initially, that, that she's pushing to do the work. He's like, I am getting there faster. And then at some point, there's a tipping point where he realizes that he just can't get away from her. Yes, that was the other thing I was going to... Not exactly that, but this is an episode where... This is actually an episode that is unique to the Big Bang Theory and and only works basically because of who Sheldon Cooper is as a character. Like, you can imagine other other shows having this, like, you know, this new girl is introduced dynamic, and it's... It would be... Probably very similar, or even there was that episode right where Wallowitz is too busy getting laid all the time to hang out with them anymore. Yeah. And they're just like, whatever about it. But this is explicitly all of the humor comes from the fact that, like, Sheldon's relationship with this girl conforms to no stereotypes whatsoever and is entirely unique. Like, he is basically part of the running joke is he is incapable of recognizing that what's actually going on is that he is in a relationship um, for most of the episode. I. I can't agree and say that it doesn't fall into any other stereotypes. I think I think she is number one 
far and away, the old, the old bottle and chain. Like, ah, oh, sorry, I can't go out with the boys tonight. You know, the old lady needs me back at home to keep working on my incredible physics breakthrough. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're not, like... But he's getting... My point is, it's funny because the only thing he's getting out of it uh-huh. is someone who will tell him how awesome it... Like, they're not sleeping together. That's what I'm saying. It's funnier because they're not sleeping together. I think it'd be funny if they were boning, honestly. It's not something I yeah. needed, but that just the thought of whatever could possibly be going on when Sheldon's trying to have sex is, is incredible to me. And so, don't don't tell me it's well, funny. I if feel like not fucking. I feel like if you introduce that at this point in the Big Bang Theory, if Sheldon just started randomly, like just out of nowhere with no context that we've gotten at all, just randomly started banging a grad student, um, a that joke would not have aged well considering the current moment that we are in, and b. Um, but but. The, 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 even and B, it just wouldn't be as... Uh, it would be a real left turn for Sheldon's character. Even uh, even if you, you say that that part of it wouldn't have aged well, the truth is that the joke was made regardless. Because before uh, Sheldon unwittingly starts dating this lady, uh, the, the other nerds are talking about... Oh, because Wallowitz immediately goes into full horn dog mode. Because they're all at lunch and it's like, Oh, I'm the new batch grad students, all the young ladies. Oh, they're, they're healthy now, but, you know, as they put on that... That freshman fifteen, they'll they'll grow chubbier and more vulnerable. Uh, yeah, and that's disgusting. That that part, of, like it, Wallowitz being Wallowitz in this episode, is as usual it, disgusting. It is. And then uh, they they ask about the ethics of dating a grad student, and I think it's Leonard who says, "I mean, if you can talk to him, you can date him," which is a low standard. That's no. And uh, so, like, all that's already in there. And so if, if Sheldon starts boning the grad student, like, I think that would be kind of normalized at that point. And also it's just something that happens. Like, I'm not saying it would be good, but it just, it seems like it wouldn't be the most outstanding and ridiculous thing. Right. Well, as opposed, that's what I'm saying. It wouldn't be that outstanding and ridiculous as opposed to what does happen, which is he meets someone who is obsessed with him only for his mind, and he is really only capable of connecting to her because she is the first person he has met at the school who it, who will who will basically dedicate every moment of her life. Like, basically, this is the relationship we can see that he wants to have with Leonard that Leonard can't give him because Leonard is just not that invested in Sheldon being a genius. He's like, he's like, all I've ever wanted is someone who will wait on me hand and foot, understanding that I'm a genius. And then we see it become a trap. I mean, this is some real, this is like some deep drama. This is deep pathos here. Because what actually traps Sheldon in this episode isn't her obsessiveness. It's his own, you know, internal logic yeah. of what being a scientist means, weaponized and turned against him. But another thing that is... It's not even really a plot element as it is just kind of like a weird running gag. Uh, well, really just like a bit is when the uh, Ramona is first chatting up Sheldon about his work. Uh, it's like I said, they're all at the, the lunch table together with the other bros and Wallowitz is there. Like sadly and desperately trying to, to hit on Ramona. And it's just it's not really that funny and that it's not working like, there's not really a good joke there. He just keeps saying, like, hey, you know that I helped to design the waste extraction system on the uh, International Space Station. And she's like, ah, gross. And they do that, like, three times. But it's just that his heartbreak as it progresses. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, 
it's 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 delightful. There's a whole theory. I don't. I got into an argument with someone who was a terrible person, just like one of the worst people I've ever met on the entire internet. Was it Hitler? I mean, basically, oh. basically Hitler from Australia. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a group of Australians that send us. No, no, not those Australians. on Wallowitz, is it? <laughs> no, those Australians are fine by comparison. And maybe generally decent people. I don't know. Hmm. Most of the Australians I've met, while incredibly obsessed with blood, gore, and violence, even by my standards, seem like pretty, pretty cool folks. But this dude, his entire theory of the universe is that women are not oppressed because men want to have sex with them. And that really, anytime you see a man doing something horrible... That's that you're like he's a monster. The person to really blame is not him for his decisions. It's women for just not fucking that guy, so that his ambitions were fulfilled slightly uh, before he committed genocide. Kyle, I don't mean to embarrass you, but Jordan B. Peterson is Canadian, <laughs> not Australian. No, but I mean, basically, what I'm saying is, yeah, is his whole theory is basic, like, is basically like Wallowitz, right? Is Wallowitz is like. Everything Wallowitz has ever done, I don't think this is actually true, and I don't think this is true of real human beings either. Okay. But what you're seeing is Wallowitz is desperately trying to be like, I made something that went into space, and I thought it would get me laid, and I'm so close to watching that happen for someone else. It's like, it's like he wrote a formula and he gets to have sex, I put something into space, why don't I get to have sex? This isn't fair! And it's just breaking him in that moment. Yeah... So this is the first, I think, episode where a very important question gets asked explicitly. So this is, you're right, all of that other stuff is funnier because they don't talk about it. But here I thought, like, some of the best, like, one of the best moments just of watching the show came because they finally just, like, said something explicitly, which well, is... Well, the question is, what's Sheldon's deal? Yeah, that's Penny. She's like, I have to know... She, and, and that's the perfect way to phrase it. What is Sheldon's deal? She's like, girls... Guys, what sock is it? Puppets. Sock puppets? Which, really progressive penny for understanding that some people can only achieve an erection when, you know, staring at a sock puppet. But, uh, so she's like... Hmm. Now, is it because the socks puppet itself is sexually appealing? Is it the thought of someone using the sock puppet? I mean, I, I assume it depends. It's different strokes for different folks, yeah. as they say. You know, what's nice about that is you can have two people... Who both get a completely different thing out of sock puppets, but are still able to enjoy each other because of their mutual love for sock puppets generally. Yeah. Oh man, that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Anyway, our so, human's great. So, so she's inquiring about Sheldon's deal. Yeah. Basically, wh- what gets Sheldon? Yeah. What it, what makes Sheldon want to come? That's the... Oh, Kyle, we're not that kind of show. Oh, fuck you, we're not that kind of show. If anyone has made us Captain Rusty Trombone, for which I still haven't forgiven you... Jesus Christ, Captain Rusty Trombone is such a good name. I'm like, like, I'm, an old, like I'm an old cowboy that plays jazz. Oh, just tooting around the Old West, solving all sorts of problems in local towns by just giving, like cryptic uh, mixed metaphors. <laughs> ah. Oh, man. Okay, so that's the next thing I'm going to write, is the... <laughs> the, the, ballad of, of, the ballad of Captain Rusty Trombone? That's right. And they're always like, a captain of what? And then I just look wistfully off into the sunset and <laughs> they'd leave town, which it's unfortunate because it actually, word about that gets around. 
And so, like, everyone knows how to keep me moseying along. But it's when I'm moseying along that I'm learning the most about myself. So, really, the ecosystem kind of balances in my benefit. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we find out that not only that, of course, Penny doesn't know what, what Sheldon's deal is. But we find out that none of them do. Which, uh, I guess makes a certain amount of sense, but, uh, it, well, actually, what's, we find out they've definitely talked about it and debated it before and just haven't been able to figure it out. Yeah, and the, the ultimate conclusion they came to is like, we don't know if he has a deal. And to which Penny, you know, in some real asexual erasure, is oh, like, everyone right. has a deal. But this one I'll actually grant because it was the mid-2000s, nobody knew asexuality was a thing. Well, yeah. except maybe asexual people. Well, actually, no, because I constantly read on Facebook about asexual people finding out they were asexual because, like, they hear about it for the first time. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, man, that's got to be really frustrating to be like, I just didn't have to be doing this thing I didn't like this whole time. It's like, fuck! I mean, I, I don't... Or rather, no fuck. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it would be, like, super comparable, but, you know, like, all of a sudden learning, like, I don't have to go to work? <laughs> I've been doing that for no reason. That would, I mean, I'll tell you, if I discovered that there were a way to get by in life without going to work, that like you, that there was just like a a form you had to fill out or like a label you had to assign to yourself, and they're like, "Oh, this is one of those no working people," I would definitely be pissed off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are labels that will get you into that that position, but they're not ones you get to assign to yourself, unfortunately. <laughs> But yeah. Um, well, does anyone really assign their own labels? They were born that way, okay? I don't know. We've got a president who claims to be a multi-billionaire, and that's probably not true, but the label sticks anyway. Oh, it's just got political for sad. Yeah, you know, it's. I feel like there's not any point in even trying to have fun little political barbs right now, because everything's just such a bummer. <laughs> it's like, talking about how stupid Trump's hair was was bad enough two years ago. But now to like treat any bit of it with any sort of like silliness or whimsy is it's it's making yourself too vulnerable. Like I just you have to have this hard, crusty shell all over you to withstand the news cycle. And so I think I'm just gonna stop caring about things by in- rampantly increasing my drug use. So yeah, that I sort of say I was hoping that watching The Big Bang Theory would kill all my emotions, but god damn it, they made me laugh, and so now I don't know where to turn. Yeah, we were at real risk of going numb there for a while, but things got spiced up again. Um, now, I, I still don't know the order we should be doing all these things in, and so I'm going to insert it here. The title of this episode, Season 2, Episode 6. Uh, let me see. I have no idea. I'm not even going to bother guessing, but it is the Cooper Nowitzki Theorem. That's annoying in a different way. <laughs> That's so on the nose. That's literally what the entire, like, well, not literally. I guess it's more about the relationship and everything, but that's actually the final product of the the relationship and the work. I am noticing, so one thing here that I like to look at is uh, this episode appears to have been written by someone different than anyone who wrote any of the other episodes this season, which I all hated. Yeah. So. No, this is true. And actually. So that's something I'm going to try to keep in, like, that's just something I've been keeping, like, an unofficial eye out is when I like an episode, is the person, does it have anything to do with who the credited writer is? I don't know, because with these big collaborative sitcom things, I'm not sure how much of a deal that actually has, but it is noteworthy to me that whoever these, uh, Stephen Ingle, Davy Hagar, Tim Doyle, and Richard Rosenstock, I have not seen those particular combination of names and a bunch of the other episodes hey way to not fuck it up guys uh yeah. aces so yeah all right we've gone through all the main stuff 
Now, uh, we have would to... you like to play a game? Oh boy, I forgot that this was happening. Uh, and I already agreed to do it. So, regardless of whether I would like to play it, so the let game, us proceed. So, one of, so when Sheldon is at his wit's end with Ramona, right, before he has his big breakthrough, he tries to get out of it by making Leonard make her go away. Yes. And he tries to invoke various clauses of their roommate contract. Oh, Lord. I know what's happening now. Which are all apparently references to movies. Yes. And also agreements they have made for what they would do if various movie scenarios suddenly come true in real life and they're forced to take action together. For example, the Skynet Protocol clause, which is what they would do if one of them actually created an artificial intelligence that was going to destroy humanity. Uh, the Body Snatcher one, which is they've made a mutual pact to murder anyone who gets replaced by an alien to save the human race. Uh, the Godzilla pact, which they don't discuss in depth, but I assume is a plan to build a giant laser to kill a lizard if it's going to stomp on Tokyo. Yes. So my question to the game is, what other very real, very serious contractual packs do you think they have made with each other based on old movies that they have seen where they are 100% like, no, if this particular thing from this movie starts happening to us, I have your back. Uh, I'm going to say they have the Return of the Living Dead clause is one of their pacts, which is that if at any point one of them has reason to believe... There has been a zombie outbreak that rather than to save the survivors and and cordon off the zombies that you just call in an airstrike and obliterate everyone in the area. Hmm. What about you? I'm thinking they have a fly clause, which is if one of them invents a teleporter and accidentally gets their DNA mixed up, they have a clause to, you know, put that man out of his misery immediately uh, and abort any fetuses that he might have impregnated anyone else with before they accidentally birth mutant fly babies. Mm. Um, I bet they also have a, a the crow clause, where if anyone is ever uh, murdered by a gang of thugs in a decrepit old Detroit, that the uh, the other has to attack and perish in the attack against them, only to the rise from the dead and then avenge the other. Nah, I'm going to call you on that one just because that seems too magical for their particular taste. But I could be wrong. Uh, I know, they love those Conan games. I, I will say, I do totally believe them having a RoboCop clause, or also an up, uh, also known as the $6 million man or upgrade clause. Well, let's which stick with the RoboCop. Which is, if one of them gets murdered in an alleyway, they will rebuild him as a... As a, as a cybernetic, ruthless enforcer of justice who will go and shoot everyone in the dick. Jim Parsons should play RoboCop. <laughs> All right. Um, because it's, so I think his body... Title of the episode. All right. Well, it's settled. Uh, because I think he already has the not-quite-human characteristics that would go well with the RoboCop part of the role. And also... I can't believe I'm spacing his name out, but the original actor... Peter Weller. Peter Weller, who played RoboCop. Uh, part of the reason he stopped playing RoboCop is the suit was so incredibly uncomfortable. That Part of the reason he was chosen for the role is he was like tall and lanky enough that he would fit within the army without it be, uh, the, uh, the armor without it being like... Yeah, because he is like a really skinny dude, right? Super skinny. And so that was like the way to get him in without it being like exceedingly bulky. He was just the right shape for it. And apparently being in the suit was just miserable. 
That's so. I was listening to an interview with uh, Doug Jones, not the politician, but the actor. Yeah, 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 The yeah. actor who has played numerous Guillermo del Toro monsters, and he talks about how, like, basically, no one appreciates how being any of those characters is basically like an endurance test. Like, he's like, there's a certain age beyond which I'm not going to be able to play one of these roles because, like, he's like, when I'm in that giant fishman suit, like, I can't drink any water because there's like no. He's like, some of them have flaps that you can. Maybe the, that one did, but he's like, some of them don't have flaps that you, like, I'm, like, pissing into a little, like, you know, thing that's, like, stuck taped to my leg, you know, for several hours. But if I have to take a dump, I'm just screwed. So he's like, I can't eat anything, like, A, all day, because, like, the mouth prosthesis can't come on and off. So you're not allowed to eat anything while you're in costume for the day. And also, you probably shouldn't eat anything in the morning, because if at any point you have to go number two, you can't take the costume off. So it's just, like, a whole... is. Is Guillermo del Toro the uh, Ramona to Doug Jones's Sheldon? Like, he, he recognizes his incredible ability and is abusing him and exploiting it? Yeah, or, I mean, I might even be vice versa. I could see Doug Jones coming and being like, hey, film me! Yeah, I haven't eaten today. Why? Because I believe in you and this movie that we're going to make, so... Oh, God, that's so much worse. Oh, having to... Having to go on so the other person doesn't abuse themselves. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's very emotionally toxic, oh. isn't it? Which brings me to I bet they definitely well, not when the show came out, but I bet if it had but I, I could see them having something like a shape of water clause where if one of them fall becomes sexually attracted to an extra dimensional or alien being that is being held in captivity, they will help them break it out so that they can bone it. That that in movie peace. So I, I only have a couple of criticisms of that movie. And, and the one is like a fun criticism, which is, uh, I don't remember the character's name, but whoever, whoever it was that Octavia Spencer was playing. Wait, I can tell you because it's important. It's, it's Delilah. Okay. Because that dude gives that, it's a whole biblical thing that Michael Shannon goes in like a scary monologue about. Thank you. Um, well, Delilah, that I, I was totally willing to believe, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this movie from two years ago, um, that I'm totally willing to believe that she's willing to support her friend, go on this this wacky caper to get a fish man out of a secret research facility, all right? I, I can go that far with my suspension of disbelief. But then when a couple days later, her friend pantomimes the, the sex motions of having slept with the fish man... And Octavia Spencer, Delilah's response is to be like, girlfriend, oh, hmm, you nasty. It's like, what? No, that's a level above Octavia Spencer. You went from being supportive friend to just being like, so you fucked a fish man, huh? Like, oh. Well, not, why is, why should she be judgmental? Because there's like. There, Are you saying there's something wrong with having sex with a sentient fish man? There is saving a, that's like, we, it's like, oh, we rescued the elephant from the zoo. And then you fucked it. Well, no, because the elephant from the zoo is not, doesn't, can't do, I don't know, sign language or whatever. We don't know. I think at that point, we don't really know the extent to which the fish man can communicate. We know he likes eggs. That's, he does. He and does, he likes listening to music. I, he does eat a he, cat because he, he doesn't well be understand the concept of, of, uh, of pets. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's fine. Oh, no, you can think it's fine. I don't. Yucky. What's your deal, Delilah? Have 
Like, there's there's a point where you stop being a supportive friend and you start being an enabler. Well, yeah, so obviously she's not the real problem you have, the person you have problems with. The person you have problems with is the mute girl who has sex with the fish man at all. No, she's allowed to make her own choices. <laughs> but you have to have friends that occasionally get in and be like, whoa. Okay, whoa. So, so obviously, so this is, so the, this is the Kyle and Nick, the first clause of our contract is apparently going to be the shape of water clause, which is if I find out that you're having sex with something and I don't know that it's a rational being, I'm going to call you on that shit. Buddy, that's like number one clause of any adult friendship. Is if I think you're about to make a real bad sexual decision that's possibly dangerous, I'm gonna go. Do you need a ride home? <laughs> like that's hmm. that's not that extreme. But you know, I do like that we're able to tie it to the shape of water. That's like I like that. That's our special thing. So I, I feel like this has been a productive session. Yeah, personally, I find that movie very inspiring. I mean, if that fish guy can get laid, we all have a chance. Oh, for fuck's sake, Kyle. <laughs> oh. oh, we're moving on. There are I'm... people who are who are really in. I mean, whatever he's got going, whatever the secret of his body language is, it's like a thing on Tumblr. No, he's a totally hunky fish man. All right, he's sexy as fuck. You know what else he is? A fish. Moving on. Tom. I'm not nearly as distru- as as uh. Okay, you said moving on twice. I'll respect moving yeah, on. Yeah, we, we just for time's sake, you monster. Little plugs. Hey, Facebook, we're on it. Do it. Check it out. Uh, Twitter, BB Theory Squared. Do that too. Also, find us on iTunes. That's important because if you rate us, people find out about us and things happen. And hooray! Uh, we do this every two weeks. It's fun. Whatever. I guess that's the plugs. I'm bad at that part. Let's talk about. Our happy thoughts, which, you know, I'm, I'm bad at actually just having... No, I do have a happy thought. I was about to condition that and say, what if we just make it nerd things? But then I remembered a happy thing. So I can start, if unless you want to. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. Sure. Um, so I uh, recently finished another book called The Last Samurai. No connection to the shitty Tom Cruise. Well, the the questionable Tom Cruise movie that has a lot of cultural appropriation in it. Uh, and and stereotypes about white men saviors. But anyway, the book has none of that because it has no relation to it. The book is mostly about uh, a whole bunch of different stuff, but also Akira Kurosawa. Um, and there's a little passage in the book where they talk about the movie Sanchiro Sugata, which was Akira Kurosawa's debut film. I'd never seen it. So after I read the book, I watched the movie. Great, great movie. It's all about a... It's based on some old Japanese novel. It's about a, a guy who, you know, goes on a quest to become a judo champion. Mm-hmm. And, As uh, you do. Yeah, and he, you know, it, basically it follows, you know, a whole bunch of interesting episodes in his life. And also, and uh, what mainly struck me is how well the intense the judo scenes are filmed, because, you know, compared to, because I've seen a lot of samurai movies, and normally, and sometimes the sword fights are good, sometimes the sword fights are bad. They're usually pretty tense, but they're always kind of quick, and it's just like slash the sword through the air, and then the person falls over. Yeah. But, you know, these dudes, they're like grabbing hold of each other, and they're like running, you know, around this big square, and like people are like getting thrown into walls until they die, and I'm like, this is some good... That's intense. This is intense. It's It's like running backwards through a campsite. It's intense. Fuck you! Fuck you! That's a that's you. that's a really bad version of a I, good joke. I do you know do you know the good joke? No, I don't want to hear it now because I'm so angry at you. Did you know that you can't run through a campsite? You can only have ran because you're always running past tents. Ah, I like that. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I did you the saved first it. thing so wrong. That's all right. But you so, saved it. But they have these intense fights. 
Yeah, it's just it. And at the end, uh, they you know the good guy and the bad guy meet on a mountaintop and you know judo to the death, which is you know just great. Nice. And what is what is it again? Uh, Lost Samurai, Last Samurai. Well, the book is is the Last Samurai. The movie is called. I can't remember. I mean, I'm sh- it's fine either way, depending on what language you speak. But I can't remember if the official, j- which is the first name and which is the last name. But it's Sanchiro uh, Sugata or Sugata Sanchiro. Nice. Hey, hey, buddy. Yeah. Cool, happy thought. Liked yeah. it. Um, for me, uh, I had a, a pleasant experience of the night, which is uh, it was my birthday this week. Happy birthday! Thank you. Which I'm, I'm always very happy to that that it's during the spookiest month of the year. Love October, fantastic. Love everything about it. And uh, being here in LA for the first time, I got to go to uh, Universal Halloween Horror Nights. And let me tell you, buddy, it is totally fine. Uh, it's <laughs> I really enjoyed myself, but I think it's because I kept my expectations low. I'd never been to like a big professional, basically haunted house before. Um, which was good and, and bad. Like it's fun when you first go in there because there's just a bunch of random people in costumes with chainsaws that, that chase you around, and it's a hoot. Feel like that shouldn't be fun, but hey, it is. Uh, and then most of the events that they have are just mazes, different themed mazes. Uh, one that was weirdly specific was not the Halloween maze like the movies. It was the Halloween Four maze. Oh, that is that is weird. <laughs> What happens in Halloween 4? Yeah, like, I, I, I did anything from the maze jog your memory of that movie? I think... Well, so I actually didn't do that maze. I wasn't interested. But I think that may have been one of the first just, like, legitimately awful Halloween movies. Because I'm not super familiar with the Halloween series. But from what I know, uh, Halloween 1, everyone knows what that's about. Uh, Halloween 2, more of the same. He just keeps brutally assaulting and murdering people. Uh, Halloween 3... Nothing to do with the rest of the franchise. No, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. Yeah. And then Halloween 4, they bring it back to Michael Myers, and I think that's where things start to go kaplunk. Yeah, Halloween 2 is the one in the in the mental asylum. Yes, yeah. Um, so, didn't do that. Uh, the, the ones we did do... And then there's the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, and now, uh, if they wanted to make another maze, now you can't even go through. They couldn't call it the Halloween maze, because you wouldn't know if the maze was themed after the original movie, John Carpenter's Halloween, or if it was named after this new movie, and I'm still upset about it. We need to start doing this as a video so people can see the look of disgust on my face. As you go back to this rich vein of being annoyed by the way they number movie sequels. Ah, oh, it's Rambo all over again. Thanks for nothing, Mickey Rooney. Ugh, I'm an Andy Rooney. <laughs> you, you, you weird. Uh, played a really racist you're, character once, yeah, old man who also complains about yeah. batteries. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, but no. Uh, so we did like the Universal Monsters one, which is exactly what you would expect it to be. And you, you go through these tight little tight little bases, and guys in pretty good costumes jump out at you. But here's the downside, is that we did a couple of these, and they are all just mazes where things jump out at you. I, I wish there was more variety to it. Um, and the downside is the ultimate letdown was they had the Terror Tram, which is if you go there during the day for like normal studio stuff, which I've done once, you can take a tram through the studio and do the tour, and it has these moments where the tracks will stop and you'll actually be on like a little soundstage or something that's like 3D screen. So it's it's a ride. It's not just a tour. It's a, it's it's both. And so I was expecting that, except uh, spooky. 
And instead, you get on the tram, and 30 seconds later, you get off the tram to walk through a bunch of kind of mishmash, non-trademark horror-themed areas. Like, there was one that was, like, Kill Billies, and it was just a bunch of hicks that had, like, put a bunch of pig heads on people and skinned them. And then there was, like, Scarecrow's Revenge, which is a bunch of scarecrows are jumping at you. Uh, and so it wasn't terrible, but it was definitely, like, the worst part of the night. But just being able to, like, go out and have, like, an L.A. fall. It's cold here now. It rained yesterday, and that's fantastic. And, like, just be a, a dumb adult out doing a fun, spooky thing and getting to stomp around like an idiot where there's pyrotechnics and scary monsters, but you can also get a strawberry milkshake. Oh, it was a good time. It was a real good time. Uh, my friend Angela probably doesn't listen to this because she's not a real friend. Uh, she came up to go do it with me, and it was great. Uh, and uh, someone I also know works there. And after I talked about going to the park, uh, mentioned seeing me in the universe. No, it was in the poltergeist maze uh, where he and a couple of his other colleagues uh, scared the bejesus out of my friend and managed to spook her like three consecutive times in five seconds uh, so that was impressive. So good times, good times. That's good times. I always wonder how often it happens. I've, I mean, I've never seen like a YouTube video of it, but I imag- I've read about it on Reddit. So I imagine it happens a lot. It's like you're in one of those haunted mazes. You jump out at the wrong person. And they just panic and punch you in the face. What would you do? How do you feel like you would? Hand? Oh, I mean, I've, I'd probably just jump and go, ah, yeah. But, well, you, you wouldn't give into these murder instincts you're so ready and raring to try out? No, I mean, not immediately, particularly not if they were, maybe if they were actually like hitting me or trying to stab me or something. But yeah, just jumping. I, so this actually, last year, uh, every year I go to um, this one Halloween party uh, at my gym, although I'll miss it this year. And so it was one of those things where I was waiting for it to start. Because, uh, you know, I'm socially awkward, so, like, I have to time when I go into something. I can't be can't be late because then I'll worry that I'm showing up too late after everybody, but I can't you, be early because I don't want to be the first person. to one person. Yeah. yeah. So I show up, like, a little bit early, and then I'm, like, I'm going to read in my car for 15 minutes until it's, like, the appropriate time to go in. So I'm Oh, sit- man. Very, very weird thing that I totally understand. <laughs> so I'm sitting there reading in my car for... A while, and eventually, I put down the book. I look up, I look out, and standing on the in the passenger, not standing like outside the passenger side window of my car, is like a clown monster ah. staring at me. Um, it was one of my friends from the gym wanting to prank me, so I found out what my immediate reaction would be, which I stared. I did nothing for about a second. Then I screamed at the top of my lungs like a little girl that was, it was, you know, you could hear it from a mile away. And then, like, my instincts took over and I opened the car door and I started chasing this clown monster down until I found, re- and, you know, not like to murder, but just to, like, figure out, just, you know, to show this yeah, person to, who thought to it was. To investigate Batman style. Well, just, just basically so that anybody who, who, uh, who thought it was funny to scare me would understand that there would be consequences. Um, yeah, no. The world's det- greatest detective doesn't solve the case without breaking some ribs. <laughs> so anyway, I, I I ran after. So apparently that would be that's like if I were at Halloween horror, I'd probably get as far as like ah startled scare, and then I would recognize that it was inappropriate in that context to chase them down because it's it's not the proper. Right. Well, we're gonna go do this together and test your limits. 
But I will tell you, if it was like in those random like viral videos where it's just like the clown in the parking lot who thinks that shit is funny and it's not like a, you know, I didn't sign up to be there, it's just somebody whose idea of a funny video is just like, is just like standing in a dimly lit parking lot dressing like a clown, that person is going to have some issues. Well, you know, that kind of person, even if not uh, actually an evil clown, still probably a sociopath. So they get what they get. Yeah. Yeah.